Glad you're here on this Labor Day. God is an amazing person. God is everlasting. God is eternal. God is over all things. He is king over the heavens above and the earth and the things below. There is nothing that gets in the way of God. His sovereignty is unquestioned. He will never, ever be defeated. And God is this person who decided in his incredible wisdom that he would give us the church. And as the early church was being built in its infancy, amazing things began to happen. Because as the church was being built, it was a culture there of leaders who were disconnected from the glory of God. In fact, they tried to steal the glory of God by heaping laws upon the Jewish people and by lining their own pockets and trying to enhance their own reputations. And so God decided that he would delineate himself from any other person. And he began, through the apostles, to do signs and wonders. And this we then knew, that God was working. And so as we come into our age now, in 2017, we must understand that God is still working but that there are dangers out there when it comes to signs and wonders. So how exactly do we navigate that? And we'll talk more about this today. But I want you to leave today hopeful that God is sovereign, that he is still working. I want you to be discerning regarding what you'll run into, regarding teaching and events that you'll partake in. And I want to encourage you and challenge you, as I've challenged myself to go out and present the glory of God to the world. So we're going to look at one entire verse today. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn there. It's Acts 2, verse 43. And you can just open that Bible in front of you in the rack and turn to page 911. This is an incredible portion of what it means to be an authentic Christian community. And it kind of sticks out. All of a sudden, you're you're reading along, and signs and wonders is there. So next week, we finish this mini-series. We're going to commission leaders. We're going to send them into the world in order to present God's glory. And then on the 17th, we're going to begin a series in the life of Joseph to help us walk through Genesis, but more to help us understand the sovereignty of God, that he is all about accomplishing his purposes And nothing can stop him. But here, everything's happening. It's the early church. The Holy Spirit has arrived. Miracles are taking place like crazy. And God is introducing himself to Jerusalem. So look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So as the Holy Spirit has come now, a new kind of power has entered in. The Holy Spirit is there and miracles are happening. And as the church is in its infancy, and remember here it's just days old, Acts 20 verse 7 tells us that at first they were meeting daily, but now they had settled on meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week, in honor of the resurrection. And they met wherever they could. They, they met at homes. They met in synagogues. But they were sharing community together. 
But in the midst of this, God was doing something absolutely amazing. He was delineating himself. He was introducing the church. He was saying to the Jewish leaders and to these new Christians that I am the real true God of Israel. And I'm going to prove it because I'm going to do miracles that you can't attribute to anyone else. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today and and how that relates to us and how we navigate a landscape of people that seemingly use miracles for their own purposes. So the first point I want to make this morning that will get us off on that quest is that miracles have no value unless they point to God and truth. The point of a miracle, the point of a wonder, is to... Explore the glory of God. It's to look up and say, wow, God is huge. God is big. God is glorious. That's the purpose. And we see the wording here helps us understand that. Awe came upon every soul and wonders and signs are being done. So the word wonders here is denoting amazement or this idea of being overwhelmed by the event that's taking place. We got just a little glimpse of that just a couple of weeks ago during the eclipse when everyone went bought their glasses and they laid on lawns and rooftops. And we were amazed at this celestial event that I never saw because we drove in rain the entire time. But I assume it was pretty cool if you saw it. But that's what wonders means. But here's the important thing. Signs points to the power of God behind the miracles. So the idea of a miracle, the reason God does miracles, is to expose us to his incredible glory. God wants us to bask in his glory because he is the best thing in the universe. We can go anywhere else and try to find these short, little glimpses of or shots of joy God is calling us to himself because he's everlasting. He's eternal. He is the fullness of what joy really is. And so he's calling us to himself always. And he does that through signs and wonders, especially here in the early church. But we have a hard time believing this. And one of the reasons I think it's hard for evangelicals in our era to really understand signs and wonders and believe in them is because of the charlatans that are out there using it for their own glory. Trying to build their ministries with the 1-800 number scrolling underneath. Pouncing around stages theatrically. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is that really for the glory of God or is it for your glory? And so we have an entire generation of people that is cynical about whether miracles even happen because of these men and women that have exploited it for their own gain. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that televangelists aren't believers. I I frankly don't own a copy of the Lamb's Book of Life, and so I don't know. But what I am saying is that there are a lot of people out there that are exploitive and will use it to trick you. And so we're going to walk through that in just a minute. How to avoid that. 
The second thing I'm not saying, I'm not saying that miracles don't happen. And I'm just saying that in the early church, God used the apostles in that special way to introduce himself to the landscape. And so here's the problem and here's why we need to be discerning. Is there's in every false teacher or every false movement, there's a hint of truth in it. So if you take, for example, the prosperity gospel movement, which is largely where this kind of stream would land. This is a theology that would teach you that if you have faith, that God will give you all of the desires of your heart beyond the biblical precept, but that you won't get sick, that you will have enough money. And if you don't, then you need to pray for more faith. So where is the truth in that? Well, does God want us to live in faith? Of course. Does God want us to have joy? Sure. Does God answer our prayers? Yes. Does he want us to have abundant life? Well, surely. But it's not like at the fair when you can go to the booth and order your, you know, fried butter on a stick. That's not what God is. He's not manning the booth for you to come and get something whenever you want. But there's enough truth in there that can deceive us. And that deceit started in the garden when Satan began to twist the words of God, and we can see truth in what he was saying to Eve. So, in the Garden of Eden, Satan shows up as a serpent, and he begins to twist truth. And Eve was there, and she was susceptible. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So, notice the wording here. God didn't say they couldn't eat of any tree in the garden. They could eat of any tree in the garden that they wanted, except for one. And Eve reminded Satan of that and said, no, we have liberty. But God said, if we, if we take fruit from this one tree, we will die. So, Satan comes back in verses 4 and 5 and twists the truth again. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, you're wrong. You're not going to die. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, you're going to be like him. So what he's doing here is he's tricking Eve into believing that God isn't enough. He's tricking her in order to take her eyes off of the incredible, powerful glory of God onto the current situation. And so she falls for the trick. And what happens is is everything falls apart. And what we have to remember as we move forward in our lives, especially when we're dealing with supernatural things or signs and wonders or even the glory of God is that everything is meant to glorify God. Our Christian existence is meant to glorify God. The Bible's clear. Everything we do, eat, sleep, work, it's all meant to glorify God. It's all for his glory. Jesus was very clear as he did his ministry. I do this to glorify my Father. And so I'm, I, I don't want to be the, the, you know, the bearer of bad news. But you weren't the primary reason that he died on the cross. He did it, of course, out of love, 
but he did it to glorify his father because his father conceived of the redemptive plan to save you. So your life then becomes a Christ-like walk in order to glorify God. Any miracle that's true and real will glorify God because that's the point of them. But here's another warning for you that I want to sound here before we get to the hope section. And that is that some miracles are real, but originate with Satan. Some miracles are real, but they originate with Satan. So we see this biblically. You remember back in the Old Testament, when Moses was back in Egypt, and... God is doing these plagues to try to get people's attention to glorify himself. And the magicians of Pharaoh's court kept coming to replicate the plagues. So obviously there's a power there. There is satanic power at work, and it looks very real. We see this coming in the end times. Paul writes about this in 2 Thessalonians, about the Antichrist or the lawless one who will use signs and wonders to deceive people. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What's his method? False signs and wonders. So people are going to look at that and they're going to go, wow, look at that. That's, that's, that's a miracle. I'm going to follow this person but their lack of discernment will cause them to perish. Jesus jumped on this too in Matthew 24. He said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So this is actually frightening to me because I don't want to be one of those that are duped. I want to follow the glory of God and truth, and, and, and I want to be pure in my pursuit of God. And so how do we know? Well, one of the ways that we know is that we have to look and see who's getting the glory. Now, if you're watching um, uh, an event on television, and it's, it's a healing service or something, and it's a... Man, I got to be really careful here. It's a it's a questionable person of some kind. Um, you might hear a lot of hallelujahs and amens. Doesn't mean that God's getting the glory. Look at the lifestyle. Look at the entire block of theology. Read about it. Google it. And then, if you Google it, find an article that actually has some truth. You know, like find a, like Christianity Today or something that you can rely on. And find out what this person is always about. If the person is lining their pockets or building their ministry on the backs of these miracles, then, then run. If they're flying jets around because they can do miracles, run. So, Satan is out to deceive because his big thing is to steal the glory of God for himself. The whole battle in the Bible is for glory. It's for the throne of Christ. Somehow, Satan wasn't happy in heaven. You know, like, what? He's, he's there in this perfect place, but he wanted more. And then he brought that discontent to the garden, and we are discontented today because we think that God isn't good enough for us, so we go running everywhere else. 
God wants us to bask in his glory. And he gave us signs and wonders in order to delineate himself so that we can know that it's real and it's him. But you have to be careful. But also let me tell you that there is incredible hope in this. And he used the apostles for a reason. So here's something we need to understand as we read this text. True miracles within the early church were performed by the apostles. We see this here in verse 43 at the end of the verse. Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the apostles are basically the disciples plus a few others. And they are the men that God tasked to build the church. Jesus trained them, sent them out. And as the Holy Spirit came, the apostles were doing incredible miracles. But it's very clear in Scripture that they knew that these were from God and gave God all of the glory. Here's one sign that you need to not pursue a particular teacher or or movement. If their title is apostle so-and-so. Because there's two aspects to this. There's the office of apostle and then there's signs and wonders. The office of apostle obviously ceased with the apostles. They're dead. They're gone. But signs and wonders continue. So how do we rationalize all of that? How do we how do we go into the New Testament and see this pure introduction of God through miracles and then bring it into our day and keep our footing and know what's right and wrong? John Piper helps us with this, I think. He said miracles are happening today around the world in some measure. They can happen more when God is pleased to pour out his spirit. And the reason it's not as normative now as it was in the apostles is because he meant to signify at this point in history, this incarnation, this authoritative band of apostles was unique. And so there, there was this issue of credibility in the church. Very much like Christians in other countries today, the new church was considered to be a cult, a sect. They didn't have a lot of legitimacy. But when God began to do signs and wonders, and we see this whole community flavor here, people started to come in droves. And God used the apostles to do the miracles because he was accrediting them. He was accrediting the church. He was building up her credibility in front of this watching world. And so signs and wonders are still happening, but the apostles are gone. But God is still introducing himself in India. God is doing crazy miracles in India because it's a pluralistic society. And God is introducing himself as the only true God. And if you've been there, you've seen the results of those miracles. God is reaching the Muslim world through amazing miracles, signs. He's leading people to Christ through dreams because no one is there to actually give them the gospel. And so God is still about the business of introducing himself, but the glory will always go to him. And that's what we have to remember, is that this idea of miracles is for the glory of God. So be careful, but understand that it's real and it's happening and be encouraged by that. So let's talk about what this means to us in our day. What what of miracles in our time? Because... We're not the early church. We're the old church. 
Not literally. You're not old. You're young. But, the, you know, the church is 2,000 years old. So what do we do with this whole idea of, of miracles? And we want to be truth to our faith. We don't want to get sidetracked. But at the same time, we want to have faith. So where does that all intersect? Let's try to make some sense of that first. Miracles do happen. So be hopeful. And so take my warning now and set it aside because I want you to be hopeful that God is doing miracles. Clearly, miracles are happening today. Men and women are being healed. You, you probably know someone that's had some kind of miraculous encounter where a tumor has disappeared or God has healed them during a surgery or they never had to go to a surgery. We saw miracles happening in Texas this week. Somehow people were getting dragged out of cars that should have been dead. And God was there to do a miracle in their lives. So be hopeful and encouraged. What are you hopeful for in your life? What, what is it that you're longing for? Are you longing for your child to come back to faith? Are you praying for that every day? Then be encouraged because God is still at work and God does signs and wonders. Are you concerned about your health? Are you wondering, man, I don't feel well. I don't know if I'll ever feel well. Or, you know, the doctor gave me this diagnosis and there's no hope for me. Be hopeful. Be encouraged. God is still working. Maybe you're here this morning and financially you're just saying, we're not going to make it. It's not going to happen for us. We just cannot, we don't have any more money. Be encouraged and pray. Because God is still doing signs and wonders and miracles. Maybe your marriage is a wreck and you're saying to yourself, man, like, I just don't know if I can go another day with this person. Or I don't understand why my wife or husband has fallen out of love with me. Just... Pray and and try to be encouraged and hopeful because God is still at work. Here's the thing about God that I love about him so much. is He could have chosen to be anything he wanted, but he chose to be loving, kind, faithful, and true. And so he is already where you're going. And he's been there for all of eternity. So there's nothing new in your life that he can't handle because he is in all of it. So be hopeful. But I also want you to be discerning. I also want you to have your radar up. In 2 Corinthians 11:14, Satan is called an angel of light. And so he can devise ways to make himself look like the real thing. This is where your time in the Bible, praying for wisdom, fellowshipping with people that are on the straight and narrow is super important. Because there is a lot of deception going on, even within the evangelical church. There was an article in ESPN, and um, not that I would read ESPN, because i got other things to do. I only read the Bible. That's it. So, for you ladies, ESPN is a sports website. Um, That's probably going to go away soon, because they're losing a lot of money. But anyway, so, there was an article, um, and I don't remember the title of it, because I didn't talk about this first service. You actually get better sermons here, because, you know, I'm kind of like tired, and I'm just thinking of stuff. So, it was something about Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Packers, finding peace. Did you, anybody see that? So here's what really made me angry. I, I read the article, and there is um, 
my, one of my favorite people out there named Rob Bell. Rob Bell is a guy who, who started the right way and began to denounce the essentials of the faith and basically now is in kind of theological no-man's land. And he, he and Aaron Rodgers developed this friendship. And Aaron Rodgers comes from a Christian family. And he was asking all of the right questions. He was asking all legitimate questions that a legitimate spiritual leader could have led him into the Word and to Christ. Instead, Rob Bell basically destroyed his faith. Because he, he had no answers, and he gave him the wrong answers, because Rob Bell doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God, nor does he even believe in the existence of hell. So Aaron Rodgers now has pretty much walked away from any faith. That's the kind of dangers that are out there. And so when you're reading books, when, when you're watching movies, make sure that you're always comparing them to Scripture. And if you see one of your brothers and sisters or you are starting to err, then bring help into the picture. I love to sit with people and they come and they say, hey, Paul, like, I'm reading this thing or I'm going to this thing and I want you to help me. Is it legit? And that's what we are for in the body of Christ. So be careful, but be hopeful. And then thirdly, I want to really encourage you to make it our goal as a church to present God's glory to the world. This is why we are here. This is the reason God has chosen us to be in this church, to show the glory of God to the world. Jesus dying on the cross for sin is such a magnificent plan that it, 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 people are intrigued by that. They don't understand it, but they're intrigued. I was, I was talking to a man and a woman this week, and this is to encourage you to use your own story. And I'm talking to them about the gospel, and I use, like, um, whatever's available there, napkins, knives, forks. I was at Perkins, so, you know, I could use the food as a sin part of the, you know, gospel equation. They laughed at that in the first service. You're getting hungry, aren't you? You started to think of that Perkins food. You're going like, wow, yeah, that was, no, I lost you. So I'm going through this whole thing about sin, and, and you know, Christ came, and I looked at the woman, and she just glazed over. And she, she's not getting it at all. So I thought, okay, I've got I to switch gears here. And so I just began to tell her my own story of redemption. And I began to tell her about what I was like before I met Christ and what I'm like now. Then I could see she was starting to, to tune in because, number one, I'm a human being, so she can relate to that. Number two, even if she doesn't understand the doctrine, she can't refute my story. And so when you're out there in the marketplace, maybe you're talking to a woman while the kids get settled at school. Maybe you're grabbing a coffee with somebody at work. Maybe you're with another student. Maybe you're in the neighborhood talking to your friends, whatever. You can always insert your story of redemption in order to bring God's glory forward. And I think that's what you're going to be doing at the women's retreat. You're going to be learning how to tell your story. And so this is something that is really important. And you might say, oh, I don't really have a story. Like, you might say, man, like, I, you know, I became a Christian when I was five, and I grew up in the church, and I've always been perfect. Well, you, you do have a story, because number one, you're not perfect, so find something that you can tell them about what God's doing in your life. 
This is really important. And then as a church, as we go forward to bring the love of Christ to our community, this is, we, we don't bring, anybody can bring, you know, clean water and blankets and all, and we want to do that. But it's all in the name of Christ to glorify God. Because if we're not ushering God into the picture, we're just giving them temporal help. And we're not feeding them spiritually. So, when it comes to signs and wonders, it was clear in the early church that God was delineating himself from any other God because the leaders there weren't connected to him. But the apostles were. And it's still happening today. But we need to have discernment. But we can be hopeful and we can go get them together in order to bring God's glory to the world. So we're going to go to the Lord's table now. And I would like to invite the worship team up and, and all of those who are going to be manning tables. And here's what I'd like to say to you. I would like you to take this communion time and examine your own life and ask God, how can I better be equipped to bring and present the glory of God to the world? What are the things I need to lay down? What are the things I need to do differently? Where are the areas in my life where I've wandered off track and I'm dealing with some theological stuff that, I'm really questioning. And then allow God to speak to you and work in your heart and life so that you can be a pure vessel for him. And together we can get people saved. So here's how it works. If you're new to Ridgewood, communion is for those who follow Jesus Christ. If, you, if you're not sure you're there yet, you can just stay in your, in your seat, no problem. But we'll come forward, we'll get the juice, and we'll get the bread. We'll take it back to our pew and take it together. If you can't get up, just raise your hand and we'll serve you. And I believe the back table is gluten-free, so that you can head back there if that's an issue for you. Let's take this time now to really meditate and to see what God has for us and to praise him for this incredible gift of Jesus. Please come.